This is Town Square Sunday On Demand. And now, 1420 WBSM's Jim Phillips. Good morning and welcome to Town Square Sunday. This is a program that highlights individuals and organizations that are making an impact on the quality of life here on the South Coast. I'm Jim Phillips. Today we're talking about uh, a couple of hot spots around the world. It's not too hard to guess what uh, those are. Brian Glenn Williams is an Islamic history professor at UMass Dartmouth. The resume does not end there. He has lived in the Middle East. He's a former CIA employee. Uh, were you an operative, uh, Professor Williams? Were you an operative? Yeah, I was, yeah, I was tasked with doing field work uh, in regional command east uh, in Afghanistan, uh, tracking up al-Qaeda and Taliban suicide bombers. Now, he's also written extensively about Russia and its invasion of Ukraine and much more. Professor Williams joins us this morning. And thank you for giving us some time, sir. My pleasure. Always a pleasure, Jim. <clears throat> it seems that Ukraine is at a crossroad battling the Russian military right now. USAID is slowed because of a dispute in Congress. And the Russian forces seem to have gained the upper hand. Uh, my question is, how do we let a democratic nation... Democratic nation, small d, in Europe, go down the drain, because that is how it appears, at least right now. It's shocking, and it's not what one would expect. You know, I grew up in the Reagan era uh, when Republicans were known for staunchly standing up to Russia. You know, I'm sure we all remember uh, the great Cold Warrior Ronald Reagan uh, telling the Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev, tear down this wall, Mr. Gorbachev, you know, the wall of communism uh, in Germany there. Uh, and to have the Republican Party, of all parties, uh, switch from being the strong defender of, of democracy, you know, opponents of America as the arsenal of democracy, to switch from that long history, that history of standing up to Russia and Moscow and China and communism, to suddenly having this party with a super minority being guided by Trump and being told to sabotage uh, aid that's desperately needed by the Ukrainian troops on the front lines trying to save their democracy, save their children uh, from being ruled uh, by this tyrant, Putin, to have the Republicans pull the plug on artillery, which these defenders in Ukraine needed to defend their families and their freedom, is inconscionable, and it is surreal, and it is directly attributable to one man, Donald Trump and his love for Putin, we call, quote-unquote, a genius for invading Ukraine. Well, give us a little history, uh, Professor. Why is Ukraine so important to Putin and Russia? Well, it's interesting. You know, uh, Putin has a warped, revisionist view of history where he, he reinterprets Ukrainians' entire history as being somehow a slave or a province of Russia. And he believes Russia, great Russia, mother Russia, needs to annihilate Ukraine, destroy its democracy, and bring it into Russia. He sees this budding freedom in Ukraine, the free media, the, the love of democracy, the, the desire to join the European Union. He sees all of this as a threat on his own doorstep, and it might spread into Russia and inspire Russians who have been crushed by his totalitarian regime for over 20 years, it might inspire his own people 
to stand up and fight for democracy. Are the NATO countries that surround the Ukraine uh, still committed to this fight? Are they helping in some way? Because uh, the impression is it's all us. And, and that impression is being fed to us by the Republicans. Uh, and it is a false impression. Uh, even though we, America, just had a aid package uh, of 60-odd billion dollars that would have gone to Ukraine and saved this town of Avdika, which was just conquered by the Russians four days ago, uh, because the defenders, the Ukrainians, ran out of artillery. They want people to believe that only we, the Americans, uh, are sponsoring this war. But the truth is, even though we just pulled the plug on this aid package because Trump told these Republicans, not, not all Republicans, small super minority, you know, people like um, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, from Georgia or Matt Gates from Florida, these, you know, these really uh, out in the right wing Republicans, he told them not to vote for the aid package. But the Europeans came through. Uh, they just voted last week for a $54 billion aid package uh, to Ukraine. Uh, they're sending them state-of-the-art Leopard German tanks. Uh, Netherlands just gave all, all of its artillery to Ukraine. Why are the Europeans doing so much? Because they know that every foot of territory Putin conquers brings Russia closer and closer to their borders. Uh, so the Poles uh, are very alarmed by this movement towards them, having a long history of being conquered by Russia. So it is, it, is, it is propaganda from Trump and many Republicans that Europe is doing nothing and we are doing all the heavy lifting. On the contrary, they've come through just in the last week with a massive $54 billion aid package at a time when we decided to give the Democratic pro-American Ukrainians nothing. Let me play devil's advocate for just a moment. Uh, we have spent billions of dollars sending military aid to Ukraine. Uh, is it fair to ask, when is enough enough? It is. And the question is, it's enough when you think democracy is worth defending. You know, uh, we, we sent billions and billions of dollars to aid Europe uh, during World War II from another Putin named Adolf Hitler. Uh, and we didn't just send money to save Europe from being turned into uh, the Third Reich of these Nazis. We sent our young men to fight and die in the hundreds of thousands during that war uh, because we knew that if we let Europe fall to Nazis and we let Hitler march across this continent, sooner or later it would rebound on us. We're in exactly that same position now, only we're not having to send our young men to fight and die in the battlefields of Europe. We're just sending our money and our technology and we're using our weaponry to crush this Russian attempt to build the Soviet Union, which, if it does happen, ultimately might lead to American troops being sent to fight in Europe, just as they were in World War II. By just sending our money, we support the Ukrainians and everything we give them, whether it be Javelin anti-tank missiles or Stinger anti-aircraft missiles or our, our unbeatable Abrams tanks, these Ukrainians use with tremendous effect. They're fighting against 10 to 1 odds, and they're prevailing. But they're about to collapse because Congress, which is being influenced and controlled by Trump, has told the, the Democratic Ukrainians, we don't support you. 
we're supporting this brutal mass murderer who just killed Alexander Navalny, and we're to support people who hate democracy. That is what the message we're sending to Putin and to Zelensky uh, with this denial of this aid package. It's uh, it's extremely frustrating. We've mentioned it a couple of times because, uh, as, you su- as you say, aid to Ukraine was ready to go as part of a bill that would also address problems at the southern border. That bill contained everything the Republican lawmakers had asked for when it came to correcting problems at the border. Uh, everyone thought it was a done deal till Donald Trump said, don't vote on that bill or don't vote for the bill. Uh, I, I don't get it. And a lot of people don't get it because uh, I thought we're all on the same team here. But how long can Ukraine forces carry on in this fight? How how, how long can they can they last? I mean, um, I've seen uh, estimates that this thing could be over by the spring unless the, their armies are reinforced with more equipment. Well, well that, that jives with what I've seen. You know, they are fighting a much larger army with more tanks, more troops. The Russians are throwing in what they call meat waves, uh, waves of World War One-style troops storming against Ukrainian lines. The Russians don't care how many troops they lose in battle. According to the CIA, the Russians have had killed or wounded over 300,000 uh, since this war began, you know, compared to our 7,500 in 20 years of fighting in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, so, you know, they're up against a horde. A, a raping, town murdering, murdering uh, of innocent civilians, democracy destroying horde. They're fighting back. They're, they're rationing their shells. Uh, one shell for every thirty shells the Russians fire because they don't have the artillery. Because Trump decided not to give them weapons to survive, and his his party members, uh, who, as you stated correctly, had this deal worked out. The Senate, Republicans and Democrats, came to an agreement on strengthening the border uh, like never before. Everything the Republicans wanted, they got. Biden gave them everything. And the deal was, in return, they will save Ukraine. Everybody was happy. They're all ready to sign it. And then Trump heard about it and intervened and said, nope, I don't want a border deal when I'm not president. Uh, I want everything to be open and collapsing and no control of the border until I become president so I can solve this. And that's how the whole Ukraine deal fell apart. And that's how this strategic town of Avdivka, which Ukrainians bravely and heroically defended for 10 years, just collapsed and fell and was conquered by Russians' hordes four days ago, thanks to Trump's intervention. You're listening to Town Square Sunday. I'm Jim Phillips. My guest, pardon me, is Brian Glenn Williams, professor of Islamic history at UMass Dartmouth. Another hotspot you are very familiar with, professor, is Gaza and the ongoing fight between Israel and Hamas. How do you see that ending? See? Well, you know, uh, yeah, I, 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 we're going to have to have, sooner or later, uh, a, a peace treaty. We have to have a ceasefire first, though. You know, America is desperately pushing Netanyahu, the uh, Israeli prime minister, to have a ceasefire, to try giving some of these Israeli hostages back to their families, uh, to try giving... Uh, the Palestinians in Gaza, uh, who've lost over 29,000 of their people uh, since this war began, to give them access to food, water, hospitals. You know, the longer this war lasts, the worse it is for Biden. 
because it's turning many Democrats uh, against him. And the longer it lasts, the better it is for Netanyahu. Because as soon as the war ends, the, his uh, coalition party, a war coalition party, uh, two separate parties, his government, his war party, uh, unity party, will fall apart, and they'll have an election, and he'll be thrown out of office. Because Israelis correctly blame him for the security lapse. Uh, I, I think it won't end, though, until Netanyahu, who has no incentive to end this, uh, has conquered uh, this last bit of Gaza down the south there, uh, where 1.5 of Gaza's 2.3 million people are now clustered and hiding. It won't end until he conquers that last part in the south called Rafa. Uh, and that's going to be a, a bloody massacre. We'll see the death rates go up because most of the Gazans have all fled south in desperation, seeking sanctuary in this one last town called Rafa. And they have nowhere to go now. They're trapped. And the Israelis are going to hit Rafa brutally uh, with air, uh, sea, and land attacks. And the death toll will go up. And we may see uh, some of the hostages freed. And we may see some more of the uh, Hamas members killed. But thus far, according to the UN, two-thirds of the people who have been killed in uh, Israel's swords of steel uh, or swords of iron campaign Two-thirds of the Palestinians who've been killed by the Israelis since this war began are women and children. So a lot of women and children will die, I believe, in the near future in Rafah, Gaza. So the picture really becomes more uneasy every day. Thousands of Palestinians already uh, dead. Many leaders around the world are calling this genocide. Is that what's happening here? Well, you know, the United Nations in 1948 conventions has a definition for genocide. It is an attempt to erase an all or parts of a people. Uh, it can be to erase their language, uh, their culture, their collective identity, or them physically, to erase them physically. And increasingly, when you see this effort to eradicate tens of thousands, you know, they, they lost ten times as many people as we lost on 9-11, in an area smaller than Washington, D.C., increasingly, when you reach 30,000 dead, and the number is going to go up and up, it does sort of meet the threshold for what the U.N. calls genocide. This is a genocidal attempt to erase Gazan identity, not Palestinian in general, because West Bank uh, isn't being confronted with this, but the unique Gazan identity is certainly under a genocidal assault right now before our very eyes. Look, um, we, we know the story. October 6, 7, uh, Hamas uh, attackers uh, killed uh, more than 1,200 uh, Israelis in a brutal attack, uh, unannounced. And uh, whether there was a security lapse or not, there was, apparently. Uh, it, it was a terrible, terrible day. Um, but Netanyahu was content to go further to avenge yes those 1200 people but to do away with Hamas and you think uh, all of uh, Um what do we need to do to secure a ceasefire what does Biden need to do because he's the key here he's, he's the, the key, key. But, but the question is does he have the clout to stop Netanyahu from this, from this bloody rampage you know 
he has bloodlust. And, and as you mentioned, that is in many ways understandable. You know, uh, on October 7th, Hamas went into those kibbutzim, those uh, collective villages, and that concert, and they raped so many Israeli women, uh, cut them with knives and swords to pieces after raping them, uh, mutilated their bodies, set people on fire, burned families. Uh, you know, this seared the conscience of the Israelis and explains some of this disproportionate mass murder, which we're seeing happening for the first time uh, in Gaza. And the bloodlust is hard to, to stop. The, the calls for revenge, uh, the calls for the utter complete annihilation of these monsters uh, from Hamas who carried out this rapist murder rampage. It's hard for us Americans to tell them to pull back. But that's what we need to do uh, because this is putting us in a bad position. You know, three times now the United Nations has met try calling for a ceasefire to save civilian lives. And on all three occasions, the Biden administration, America, has used its seat on the Security Council to veto those calls for a ceasefire, which would save civilian lives. We become complicit. We are in some ways the collateral damage of Netanyahu's uh, racism, uh, his, his settlements uh, of, of Israeli settlers in the Palestinian West Bank, hundreds of thousands have been forced into Palestinian lands against their will. Netanyahu drove this rage with his Zionist messianic vision for settling all the West Bank with the Palestinians, with Hebrews and Jews and Israelis. And we, Americans, who didn't support this campaign, in fact, Biden has come against this racism, ethnic cleansing of Palestinians by Netanyahu, we pay the price for it, as we've seen with all these attacks, 170 attacks on our bases in Syria and Iraq uh, since this campaign uh, by Israel began. We're being attacked because of our support, our knee-jerk reflexive support for Israel. You don't paint a very uh, pretty picture with the Gaza situation, uh, Professor. I, I don't know how it's going to end. There's got to be a ceasefire. People have to keep working at it. We have to stop here. My guest has been Brian Glenn Williams, Professor of Islamic History at UMass Dartmouth. Thank you, sir, for giving us some time today and uh, your insight. That is all mine, Jim. Be well. Take care. Stay with us. Town Square Sunday will return in just a moment.